people didn't know how to build a very reliable 308 at the time. So the concept of building something in a Magnum AR platform was just, you know, mind boggling. Telling people this is as accurate as any bolt gun that you're going to shoot and, and just seeing guys just, what? No way. And, you know, I have a saying, run your gun, not your mouth. I turn around and not 75 yards from where we're laying down looking over this waterhole are three mule deer bucks standing there looking at us. I want to share an experience with you that is authentic and it may tarnish my image on social media, but the perception that people build up of you is only based on what they want to see. This is Clint Walker and you're listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. I've been blessed to harvest 22 of the 29 North American animals with my bow. My personal 24-hour record for death threats is 88. They will start putting two and two together and realize this is how you call bulls in. So when I go hunting now, that's the ethos I take with me. You know, whatever whatever this hunt is going to throw at you, you pull your big girl pants up and you get on with it. Giant bucks are freaking awesome. They're beautiful. But you know what? I would not trade this first puck for anything in the world. So I'm really, I'm a geek. Magicians and dragons and magic swords. <laughs> I shit you not, man. I'm the biggest dork in the gun business. I'm Freddie Hartice, Hollywood Hunter. This is Aaron Snyder. Hey, this is Trevin Stoltzfus with Outback Outdoors. This is Rihanna Carey. Hi, this is John Sloan of the Interviews with the Haunting Masters. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative, brought to you as part of the Waypoint Podcast Network. All right, y'all. So hopping right into today's episode, I have Clint Walker. Y'all, Clint was recommended to me by Von Neville, uh, the man spot. He, I, I always ask my guests, you know, who do you think is awesome that, that you think I should have on the podcast? And immediately, without hesitation, Von uh, mentioned you, Clint. So I really appreciate you hopping on uh, joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So I always like to kick things off, just maybe a little introduction of yourself, but more importantly, how did you kind of get introduced to the the world of the outdoors or, you know, in your case, especially uh, the world of firearms? Okay. Well, uh, gosh, I I think just based on the conversation we had prior to uh, hitting the record button here today that you and and I might have a similar uh, background. I, I didn't grow up uh, in a household that was hunting and fishing per se. Uh, my grandfather uh, took interest in me. My parents were separated. Here comes the violin and start that music here. <laughs> um, my my grandfather uh, took interest in, in just getting me outdoors. So he would come pick me up. Uh, we lived in Southern California at the time and, and uh, he's an old Missouri boy. So, you know, he liked to, shoot and kill and skin just about everything from from uh, ducks at the uh, pond in los angeles to uh squirrels on the back uh, fence and uh we would take off and go up to the castake lakes there in in california and sit there with his game call and try to call in coyotes and boy we just uh, hunt anything that we could uh see so it wasn't like hunting trips, uh, like you imagine when you when you're going out for deer or something. But it it was an exposure um, to doing some cool things, uh, the hunting and fishing. And um, I, I knew that I mean it was really something that I really enjoyed doing. It was such an adventure. You knew, never knew what you were going to get into. Um, so at any rate, I'm gonna. Uh, 
I'm going to interrupt you really quick for a second. Yeah. Uh, it's funny you say castaic. My very first, I, I, I don't really count it as my very first hunt, but I guess technically it was. Uh, it was my first time solo out in the woods with carrying a bow. Let's say that. Oh, really? Was up by castaic. Uh, no it was kidding. just up north of north of castaic. Can't remember the exact area. I don't. I w- yeah. Wouldn't mind sharing it because I saw absolutely nothing. But. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I, I was also woefully underprepared and I was, I was there for like a day and a half. I was like, I'm going to be up here, you know, four days. I'll be good. Sure. You know, I was there like a day and a half and my gear was garbage. I had no idea what I was doing. I was so underprepared. It was, it was laughable. But well, <laughs> well I, you know, that sounds much like my experiences there. You know, we, we drive up there and my grandpa's, uh, beat up vw bus and um we called it the family called it the uh the war wagon and uh you know whatever he had under the seat in that truck you know was what we were going to eat so he had like cans of beans and and soups that were expired we'd eat those and get sick and uh, just kind of <laughs> hover them over the campfire i'm not kidding i mean we we didn't have cool gear uh nothing uh and a lot of times, you know, I didn't have a jacket or anything. We'd sit out there just freezing to death. And I was literally just sharing that story with my kids because I, we went uh, up in the mountains here in Montana uh, just last week uh, during opening uh, weekend for uh, deer and elk here in, in Montana. And, you know, as you know, you live in Haver, the weather here is quite extreme. Uh, we were up near the Canadian border and, you know, that weather comes in on you and it, it can be a life or death uh, situation depending on how you're prepared. So we're up there. It was cold. My kids have all this nice high-end hunting gear because I, I like to buy nice gear. And I said, well, you guys don't know how good you got it. Uh, so anyway, that was my uh, bit of uh, hunting when I was a kid. Um, was very limited. I was always very much into firearms. I don't know why. Uh, I actually did a book report uh, in sixth grade on Guns and Ammo magazine. If you can believe it or not, the the annual Guns and Ammo that came out that had like all the firearms made, you know, listed in it. I, I brought that to school, and that's what I did my book report on. Um, Could you imagine course, trying to do that in uh, Southern California nowadays? Uh, dude, I mean, <laughs> listen, if even words that begin with G um, get people really anxious there, you know, uh, so, you know, kids can't can't uh, they just can't get a break in Southern California. But I mean, you wear anyway, an American flag on a T-shirt. You're in trouble at right. this point. Like, oh, yeah. Extremist for sure. So that's where I got my extremist roots um, was there. <laughs> In Southern California, I, I uh, went into the military for a brief time. I'd, I'd wanted to go into law enforcement and, you know, out of high school, I just didn't know which way I was going to go. Uh, tried to play football on a partial scholarship, got injured, joined the army, thought that would be my ticket to uh, to college and, and uh, got injured there. So I got out and wound up working in the print publishing industry which was great. You know, it was automotive print publishing. I got to travel all over the country, meet a lot of cool people. And again, you know, I head out to the East coast. We do some of the, uh, the truck events and, and, uh, racing events on the East coast. And these guys would always want to go out and go 
you know, raccoon hunting or whatever, whatever it was, whatever venture. And I was like, man, I really dig this. So a few years into that, I traveled to Montana to do some fly fishing and got talking to a buddy of mine. He's like, man, it'd be so cool to live here. And I was like, I could live here now. So, uh, (laughs) my wife and I, who had, had literally been married less than a year, I came back, said, Hey, you know, how would you like to sell our house in our gated community here in Irvine and, and head to Montana? And so we both quit our jobs and uh, left the state. We started a, a, a print publishing company of our own and did some technology-based magazines um, at the time. Turned that into a marketing company and the marketing company uh, did a lot of stuff in the outdoors. So sold that company to uh, Maury Povich of all people in 2013 <laughs> in 2012. Um, a guy that I knew up here, major general Paul Vallely, who was a Fox news correspondent at the time and a friend of mine, uh, we decided uh, to get into the firearms industry. I was actually, <laughs> it's like, how do you get into the firearms industry? So you know, here in, in Kalispell, Montana, where I live, we published a number of uh, magazines here in the state and visitor travel guides. So I knew a lot of people. I'd been asked to serve on the board for economic development here in the state. And uh, one of the tasks I had was trying to find a industry that we could uh, cultivate or attract, you know, to uh, Northwest Montana, as you know, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of industry here in Montana and our number one export is our children. So, <laughs> um, not a lot of careers, you know, uh, here and having, uh, two of our first kids at the, at the time, um, I it was important to me to try to create some sort of industry here where if my children chose, they could, you know, at least get a viable, uh, career, um, here in Montana. So I started studying the firearm industry. Um, at the time, uh, a guy named KK Jens was just, uh, trying to get his, uh, carbon fiber barrel, uh, company up and off the ground. And we started attracting different, uh, companies here. KK, uh, that company, uh, later became known as proof research, uh, which is here in our backyard. And, you know, through a series of efforts, we were able to attract a number of firearm related companies, um, here, and uh, at, at some point, I decided, you know what, I think it'd probably be a good idea if we start our own uh, firearm company. So I founded Nemo Arms in uh, 2012. And that was uh, that company was well known for, uh, you know, coming out with the first 300 Win Mag AR, so a Magnum platform AR. Um, believe it or not, I only owned one AR-15 uh, prior to starting a company that ma- manufactures um, AR rifles. And it's an interesting thing, you know, people, a lot of people assume when you're in the firearm industry, especially if you uh, make firearms or you uh, design and develop, uh, that you must have some background, um, you know, in the military or something like that. Um, what I found is that you know, the guys that we work with and we work with a lot of people in the military, we sold um, to the military, which I consider a highlight uh, of my career. A lot of the guys that are the actual shooters of those firearms, the users of them don't know anything about, you know, 
how to manufacture one. They come up with some great ideas. Um, so it's kind of a miscue in, in our industry that you have to be, have to have a military background in order to, you know, be someone or create something that's viable in this industry. Uh, we found is just, uh, having a, a open dialogue with the military helped with us and, and guiding us into which direction we wanted to, uh, take the company, you know, from a product development standpoint. So, so we did that. We started it right here out of my, my garage. And it was a hot rod approach. So I, I mentioned the, the publishing industry. And the only reason I mentioned um, that is because it was working in automotive print publishing, which is where I started. You know, you build hot rods and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and us building the, the first 300 windbag was very much like you build a hot rod. Um, you know, people think when you build a hot rod, you just, you know, buy all these parts online, you know, bolt or weld them together you know, put the key in ignition, turn it on and and it starts very, very, very rarely uh, works that way. And guys that build hot rods know it. I mean, you can have the same exact fuel cell, the same exact ignition, same exact motor, same exact blower, same exact this, this, and this, and it's always something. Um, so it's the tweaks and tunes. You're, you're just used to it. And for me, I didn't know enough about um, the AR-15 platform to know what wasn't possible, but I I knew the experience of trial and error, and uh, you know, as part of a development process, and that's how we developed the the Omen, the the 300 Windmag. So, interestingly, in that um, process, you know, this was at a time, you know, this is nine. Seven, eight, nine, about yeah, nine years ago or so. You know, people didn't know how to build a very reliable 308 at the time. So the concept of building something in a Magnum AR platform was just you know mind-boggling. And in fact, I had a number of people tell me that it would never work, um, that it couldn't be done, et cetera. And uh, you know, was joking with some friends recently. You know, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, and then I, I remembered that I do have a dollar for every time I heard that <laughs> <laughs> uh, because of our success uh, in that platform. So it it was very interesting, um, a very very challenging uh, starting up the company at the time, and it it caught like wildfire. I mean, when we actually figured it out, you know, we call it split the atom. It was incredible. Um, now we were building something in a in a very high precision uh, platform as well. Um, so. You know, for me, again, it wasn't like I grew up uh, with experience as a long-range shooter. Um, certainly didn't have any experience in that uh, in the military itself. Um, but because of our dialogue with uh, the military uh, at the time, uh, Army specifically, I got, the, you know, the best instruction and the best advice on the platform from the top uh, snipers in the world. And that's who I actually learned um, how to shoot uh, from those guys. And I, it was really important to me to learn, you know, how they're deploying this rifle, what the, what their experiences are, um, how they're using it, what their techniques are, because it helped me develop the, the rifle. So I was by no means, I would consider myself a precision shooter. Um, but through the development of, of the Omen, 
you know, you, you, you shoot 10,000 rounds of 300 wind mag, you know, you better be good at something, either paying the bill or, you know, hitting a target. So, <laughs> or both. Uh, so that's how I got my experience in that. I really became, as, as you know, you mentioned, um, that you're into uh, precision shooting. It's, it's very addicting. If, if you have that type of personality, it's like, wow, this is interesting. There's so many variables here on equipment and, uh, atmospherics and, you know, all of these things, physiology, you know, your own personal physiology, and, and you want to zero in on each one of those things so that now, you know, the Delta is actually you, you know, the, the, the mm -hmm. rifle itself, the ammo, everything is perfect. And now it comes down to you. So, um, I did that, um, and gosh, the company really took off, you know, grew from, from a garage to, to a multi-million dollar company overnight. Um, you don't grow that quickly without experiencing growing pains, uh, through us, you know, you got two ways to scale that rapidly as, uh, you know, debt or equity. In other words, you either take a loan from the bank or you share, or you sell shares in the company. Um, we sold shares, uh, grew so quickly one one uh, night, you know, uh, woke up and or one morning woke up and the shareholder says, you know, we, we thanks a lot. We don't like the way you run the company and we'll see you later. You're, you're a shareholder. Hey, uh, so I was pretty devastated at the time, actually. I mean, I'd never, ever experienced anything like that in my career. I'd never... I never sold shares in my company when I was starting it, never took a loan. You know, my wife and I bootstrapped our publishing company. Um, so it was a new experience. Uh, it hurt, uh, no doubt. Um, I took about a year off and just did a lot of fly fishing, a lot of soul searching. And I knew that we hadn't perfected that platform. I knew that the, the, uh, the omen was, was somewhat buggy and it was buggy because when we started it, you know, keep in mind in that era, the 2013, you know, 14, 15, those are the Obama years. There was a run on guns at the time. Mm -hmm. We also were uh, getting back heavily into the war uh, cycle. of war was a factor. Uh, ammunition and components had dried up. So, you know, in 300 wind mag, you know, keep in mind, you've got, you know, rounds that are 150, uh, grain all the way up to at the time 220 was about it now of course they've got the 230 and some others um but you know the 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 charge for it you know the fuel that it's running on that powder was very different as well so depending on what brand you're buying and whatnot it had different burn rates so the pressure issues uh were uh constant there was no way to just say you know, this is a 22 LR. It shoots this uh, with such a wide, wide range that the the rifle was uh, somewhat unreliable. So, in the year that I had off, I I visited, oh gosh, probably 15 different uh, manufacturers. Um, really dove into um, this whole concept of this overpressure and powder burn and dwell time, you know, what, what was it that, that was it, um, wound up going to a, a company that was actually a supplier to us here at Nemo, which is a company called, uh, Sanju industrial, an aerospace company that made parts for us at Nemo. 
talked to Jason Sanju. He and I put our heads together. He says, hey, how would you like to start a firearm company up for us? And you can continue your same effort on a 300 WinMag platform here. And of course, for me, it was, you know, an uh, opportunity to, you know, finish what I felt was my legacy at the time and in this uh, Magnum platform and truly perfect it. They had a, uh, a design at the time for that platform, which was uh, similar to the Omen, but very different at the same time. And so I worked with uh, engineer Aaron McGinty uh, on that project, just a brilliant guy, very good friend of mine to this day. And I truly feel when we developed the Falcor brand, which I, which I launched for Sanjo Industrial, that we truly perfected that 300 win mag uh, in that platform. So in a nutshell, uh, that's, you know, how I got into the uh, industry itself. Um, I, I wound up being in precision shooting as a result of shipping a rifle that I knew, uh, was as accurate as any bolt gun, um, and telling people this is as accurate as any bolt gun that you're going to shoot. And, and just seeing guys just what, you know, how can <laughs> they are no way. And, you know, I have a saying, run, run your gun, not your mouth. And, uh, for me, it's, you know, it's the same. Again, I go back to the automotive world. You can talk about this car that you built all you want, and how much horsepower it is and how it hooks up and all this crap. But the bottom line is, if you're not willing to, you know, pull up to a line and race next to that guy, then you're not shit. And uh, for me, I didn't like talking about how accurate and reliable it was. I'd rather go out and demonstrate it. Um, so I... I started shooting in precision rifle competitions simply to prove that it was everything that I said it was. And, you know, that, that precision rifle community at first you could tell is like, what? and then after a while I was like, Holy shit, this thing's the real deal. Um, and I really enjoyed um, learning from those guys and that whole experience of shooting in the competition dynamics and national rifle league, uh, series. I really, truly enjoy that's probably one of the most fun things I've done uh, in the industry. So sorry that that's a run on uh, sentence and story for for this, but that's uh, that's it. No, that's fantastic. I mean, I uh, it's been a while since I've really kind of done my precision shooting stuff. And I mostly, uh, you know, I mostly came at it from a beginner's perspective uh, with my instruction, teaching people that honestly, a lot of them have never touched a firearm. And, uh, by the, by the end, it was a two day course I would teach. And by the end of it, they'd be shooting, um, uh, within four MOA spec, um, you know, out, to we'd take them out to a hundred yards. Typically, you know, it, it was a lot of fun doing that through that. I got into some, a, a little bit of competition here and there, you know, I, um, I always shot kind of the vintage military rifle competitions, which was a lot of fun. Cool. It was, I will admit, it was really fun going in. Uh, a lot of guys with uh, their AR platform rifles uh, made to spec as a, as a military style rifle. So it matched all the specs. Yeah. And then I roll in with my 1939 M1 Garand. And, Super rad. Yeah. Dude, oh, so much fun. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd come in and they'd, they'd look at me. And I mean, I, I'd rarely win, uh, but I, I, always, I always managed to. I always managed to walk away with plenty of respect from those dudes rolling in with that beast. <laughs> That's awesome. That's just awesome. 
Yeah. I got to tell you, uh, for me, the competition side uh, did did more than just give me an opportunity to you know prove the uh, the, the platform. Uh, it, it also was great for R and D. Um, you know, especially in uh, competition dynamics uh, series or NRL National uh, Rifle League, uh, you're kind of you know running around in a dirty environment. Um, so things get dirty, things break when they get dirty, they fail, and you can't do uh, enough R and D that uh, mimics those environments without just being in them. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was really helpful and. I learned a lot about um, our platform and uh, funny enough, I mean, I had guys that, you know, when you're running around on a course like that, typically a course of fire is, you know, five miles, uh, maybe 10 miles in a day. And you kind of, you know, go from each station to timed uh, shooting, you know, locate range and engage your target. And, I would run into guys that you could just tell that they were just completely defeated. And it's like, Hey, what's going on? Oh, my rifle, you know, shit the bed. Oh, well, well, let me take a look at it. You know, I'm, I'm a competitor and I would literally fix people's guns. I carried parts. I freaking had files and I can remember fixing people's guns that turn around and, and beat me in one. And they're like, what are you doing? You know? And I'm like, <laughs> I just enjoy doing this, you know? Um, and, well, and what's uh, the fun in winning if you, you you know you know you only won because of a malfunction? Like, right, right. And again, it goes back to the whole uh, automotive world. You know, if you're you're into racing and that sort of thing, I mean, of course you have rivalries, right? Uh, but you know, the aspect of of building something that races and has run hard, and then it breaks, and you fix it on the fly, and you you know you just use what's available to you. Again, you learn so much as tribal knowledge uh, that you just can never uh, experience as the best teacher for tribal knowledge. So uh, great time. I had a great shooting partner at the time, Tyler Hughes, um, who's a Marine scout sniper. He still runs around and competes to this day. Um, and it was, it was just neat. So uh, definitely a highlight for me. Uh, starting that company and, you know, that company was, uh, you know, uh, people would say an overnight success. It it very much, you know, happened very rapidly and uh, it it was awesome. So at any rate, that's, uh, that's my, that's my intro into the industry. Um, Today, I, I own a company uh, basically doing consulting product development and, I mean, we do everything but actually make the parts uh, for uh, several different brands, and uh, and I truly enjoy it. I, I really uh, some days I just pinch myself and go, "Man, I can't believe what a wild ride this has been in this industry." I'm in a good place. I've got a great team, and uh, we work with some fantastic brands, and I get to go do things that I enjoy. So, uh, no complaints over here. 
Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. So suffice to say, you have a little bit of history when it comes to firearms. You have a little bit of knowledge here and there that you've developed, just just a tiny bit. A little bit, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, one thing I'd, I'd love to talk to you about is, is, you know, we cover a little bit of everything in this podcast, but it generally always comes back to the outdoors and hunting and fishing, whatever that happens to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, this is one of those things. It's like, I, again, I didn't, I I'm not super in depth in the firearms industry. Like I, I've kind of gotten the rifles I've gotten through one way or the other, whether it's uh, was, uh, you know, just happened to be what was available or what, you know, somebody suggested at one time. And I never really got into extremely in depth, into different calibers, the benefits, the drawbacks, uh, styles, things like that. Um, And there's actually two things I'd love to talk to you about. One would be handguns in the backcountry, as well as rifles for hunting. And, uh, you know, we can maybe hop on the handguns in a bit, but one thing I'd really love to talk to you about is maybe some of the more popular hunting calibers and really, you know, the benefits and drawbacks, you know, really kind of helping people choose maybe somebody new coming into hunting. Maybe they want to start out and pick a good all around rifle, something that can kind of get it done. You know, they, they're trying not to spend a ton of money and they're like, okay, you know, I want to, I want to do some deer hunting, maybe some elk, uh, you know, maybe it's somebody kind of here in Montana where we've got a little bit of everything and they're just looking for a good all around rifle. Sure. What are, what are some of the, some of the rifles uh, calibers they could start looking at? So uh, you ask a, a great and timely question. Um, you know, again, uh, what, what's funny is, you know, so I have a big presence on uh, social media and uh, with that, I believe comes a responsibility uh, to keep it real. That's how I approach uh, my personal social media. Now, I say keep it real. Yes, I put um, some outrageous things on there from time to time, and especially with some of the political gifts that we get uh, these days. <laughs> you know, I I, I, I can't help but uh, throw some of those on there as well. I mean, it's but just too gen- too easy sometimes. It like. is, it is, wow. <laughs> uh, you know, if you like fruit, this is a very fruitful uh, time for uh, being the meme king. Um, so I, I try. Uh, not to get too political, um, although certain things really trigger me. But I I do that because I know that there's a lot of uh, guys and girls out there that are like me, that are like, I didn't grow up doing this stuff. And 
you know, I might not even know my way around a firearm, but I, I live in this area or I'd like to start learning how to, you know, fend for myself, you know, how to provide for myself, whether it's hunting or fishing or, or something, but it's a very intimidating, uh, from a concept standpoint, like where do you begin? And, um, you know, to anyone out there that's, that's looking to do that, especially if you are a parent. Okay. Uh, I strongly, strongly advise you just to start. Okay. Whether it's fishing or hunting, just, you know, dive in. Uh, if it's hunting, it's going to be a little more difficult. Um, but, uh, you know, you're going to have to get a license in your state and with that's going to come an educational aspect and, and that's a good thing. So if you're a parent that wants to hunt and maybe teach your parent, your kids how to hunt, then, uh, you know, go to the, your local fish, wildlife and parks and get with them. They're going to put you in a course. It's not really going to teach you how to shoot, but it is going to go through just the, the basics of, you know, what is an ethical shot? Where can I hunt? What are the seasons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I say that because I know that our industry is shrinking. Okay. And when I say our industry, I'm talking specifically about the outdoor industry from a hunting and fishing standpoint. Um, since COVID, I believe one of the big benefits I've seen uh, from COVID, uh, not that there are many, but there are a few, is that a lot of people have been uh, retreating to the outdoors and going, hey, I, uh, you know, when I go to the grocery store, I'm seeing you know, there's hardly any meat left in the, in the meat department and uh, whatever. So when you're in Montana here where I am, you know, of course we saw a large influx of out of state people moving here. Um, but everybody is a survivalist right now. Everyone's got a rooftop camper and a freaking <laughs> water jug on the back of the car and whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's great. Um, I would say, take a basic firearm course, whether that's pistol or rifle, uh, number one, number two, get licensed. And if you're fishing, you know, just go buy some tackle, get a license and throw some in the water and see what works. Um, turns out that's how our ancestors did it. Uh, so I really, uh, like that aspect. Here's what happens in, uh, the firearm industry and especially in the world of social media, Clint Walker, uh, goes on to Instagram, posts a photo of Clint with his Ibex or Clint with his uh, nail guy or Axis deer or, you know, whatever. And it's like, wow, this guy's like crazy big time hunter, whatever. Well, guess what? I'm not. Uh, I never was. And there's so, so much that I don't know. And I want to share an experience with you uh, that, I, that is authentic and it may tarnish my image on social media, but the perception that people build up of you is only based on what, in part, what they want to see, number mm -hmm. one, mm -hmm. um, and number two, what you show them. And there's only so many things you can show. So here I am, uh, Clint Walker. I have started a couple of very successful firearm companies, uh, I've built a name for myself in the precision rifle world, uh, taught long range shooting, all these different things. Now I want to go out and I want to hunt. I want to do it on my own. My first hunting experience, like where I actually shot something uh, that was somewhat big game 
was at a industry uh, party down in in um, in Texas. I'd gone down to uh, Houston uh, for the uh, NRA annual meeting. I was invited um, by some people that were there to go to this ranch after the after the meeting was over, and we were going to hunt and do the stuff. Well, dude, uh, at this point, I've shot thousands of rounds of 300 wind mag. Everybody knows my name. And now I'm going to this ranch and I'm like, I don't know the first thing about shooting one of these hogs or whatever. I know how to shoot. Um, but once I've put a hole in it, I don't know what to do with this thing. Okay. So these guys set me up in a folding metal chair. Like, you know, like when you walk into a, a church that's having like an event and they give you this metal chair, here's your chair. <laughs> and, uh, and here's a, uh, a grocery bag with some ice in it and uh, a Dr. Pepper. That's my, that was my drink of choice at the time. Uh. Put me out in this chair in the middle of this field. They said, we'll be back in a few hours to pick you up. And I'm like, you know, like what's <laughs> going on? And anyway, I see what I thought was like a dog walk out in the middle of this big cornfield. This cornfield had been cut down. And I'm like, man, why is someone's dog way out in the middle? And then it hits me. That's a, that's a coyote, right? Uh, so this is how new, this is how green I am. Okay. So I put my rifle up on the back of the chair. I look at this, this coyote's way out there. And I, I start milling on it to see how, you know, how big, well, I see some deer way out there. So I start milling uh, the deer to try and get an idea how far this coyote is because I have more familiarity with, with uh, looking at deer in my reticle than I did coyotes. So I decide that this uh, coyotes, you know, 500 and something yards away, boom, take a shot, come up short, thing starts to run, he turns. And uh, at that point I, I had a better idea. I had some dope. So I freaking you know, put a hole in him. Well, I couldn't get over like, so I sat there on this chair and I'm like, oh, I just smoked a coyote at, you know, 600 yards. And, but I'm sitting there going through my mind. Why, how do I, how come I miss that first shot? I thought my math was good, whatever. Well, in Texas, the deer bodies are so much smaller than they mm -hmm. are here in Montana. I mean, yeah. like really small compared to our deer. So that's my excuse, by the way. Uh, my, my math was <laughs> off uh, at least. So I wind up shooting that, I shoot two hogs and, and uh, a coyote that night come back and these guys pick me up and they're like, okay, we're going to go gut this thing. And I'm literally standing there while they're stringing this thing up and I have no clue what to do. Uh, in my mind, I'm like, okay, if they tell me to do it, there's all these industry people there. I'm just going to stick a knife in it and get all the inside stuff out. You know, like that's probably a good uh, starting place. Um, I mean, that's about as basic as, as it comes, right? <laughs> right. The stuff right. inside needs to be on the outside. <laughs> that's right. So, so uh, I'm standing there and these guys are stringing up. I'm kind of watching other guys, you know, getting their stuff going. And this guy's like, Hey, you want to do this or you want me to do it? I'm like, you know, I'm good. Uh, if you want to just go ahead and do that. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just standing there just like watching, you know, what are these guys doing? So that was my first, um, experience. Okay. So in the industry, uh, lots of opportunities to go down on different hunts with guides where, 
you know, they, in Texas, it's a lot different hunting than it is here in Montana. Right. Uh, they're, you know, they feed, feed these areas for corn. Uh, they set you up in a blind that's, you know, fairly warm and comfortable. And if you're lucky, it has good Wi-Fi reception. So you can, you know, watch YouTube shorts or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you wait for something to come. Right. And then you shoot something and then a guide says, okay, I'm going to get it and do all this stuff for you. So I'd done that several times and, my kids are at an age now where it's like, Hey, they, they're interested in hunting. They want to do it too. This is years ago. So my kids at the time are seven and like nine years old. So we decide for Thanksgiving, we're going to head over to Zortman, which if you don't know where that's, that's, I mean, as far East and North as you can go. So it's on the high line, uh, right before you get to the, the border. Okay. And we head over there. Uh, my kids and I, I mean, we are up and down these coolies. Actually, the first night we get there, um, we, we find this area and I, I find water. And so we're looking over this water hole. It's about, I don't know, maybe 300 yards away. And I'm watching. I told the kids, I said, see, you know, deer or whatever, they're going to come to this in the evening or in the morning. So this might be a good place for us to watch. So we're watching for probably 30, 40 minutes. And my daughter keeps going, dad, dad. And I'm like, honey, you got to keep quiet because, you know, uh, they're, they're going to hear you and they're not going to come. She's like, dad, they're behind us. <laughs> and I, I turn around and not 75 yards from where we're laying down, looking over this water hole are three mule deer bucks standing there looking at us like what's that guy doing down there you know like we're over here um and they they were actually pretty good size you know but i didn't my i didn't decide to shoot one because this was literally the first night that we had gotten there and i'm like well if we saw those right now we're certainly going to see you know some majestic looking ones tomorrow turns out that was a huge mistake uh as we walked up and down these coolies for a couple of days, my kids never complained. They were just fully into it. And, uh, on the last day we, we actually finally shot something. What's funny, a story that I love to tell. And I tell this because I know that there are more people out there like me that do not have experience. Um, and I just want to share this because it was, you know, to me, it was a, a pivotal moment that, the night before we went out on the first day of the hunt, um, I'm laying in this little cabin thing and I'm watching videos on YouTube about how to field dress a deer. <laughs> so I'm literally watching like, where do I do with the knife? Cause I'd seen people do it different ways. And yet, you know, now I'm going to have to do it. And I want to make sure that I look like I know what I'm doing in front of my kids. I watch videos on how to, how to gut my deer. And, uh, the day that we were leaving, as we were starting to drive out of there, we saw a big buck in this field. We shot it. My kids and I dragged it over and, uh, we gutted it together and it was an amazing experience. Um, and if not for YouTube, I don't know what I would have done. Uh, again, I'm sure that I would have figured out how to get the stuff that was inside of it out, but the tips that were shared on YouTube certainly helped. So, what I'm saying uh, to people out there who haven't done this before, um, number one, nothing makes you more feel more alive like getting outside of your comfort zone, uh, period. And it doesn't matter if you're hiking um, in an area that you know has uh, weather or steep terrain or other challenges. 
or getting out hunting, push yourself, uh, remind yourself how small you are in this world. And, and there's a humbling experience to just know that, Hey man, I still have a lot to learn. So, uh, fast forward, uh, you know, uh, uh, last weekend was opening, uh, rifle season. My kids are up around the Canadian border in Eureka and man, we hiked a lot. Uh, I, th- I think the total on the GPS was about 20 miles in, in four days. Kids never complain. Um, we saw lots of, uh, does, no bucks that we wanted to shoot at. We're going after my son's first, but in my pack was, was my knife. And I know exactly what to do with it now. Um, now the challenge is just finding, finding the one that, that, uh, he wants to get. So, uh, I guess to answer that initial, you know, question or topic, you know, the first thing you got to do is get out there and just do it. You got to start and you got to start somewhere. Um, and, and, and a great place to start is hiring a guide. If you can, um, they're going to take you out and show you where animals are and what to look for on the ground and tracking and all those things. If you can't afford that, if it's a budgetary thing, um, then, you know, a basic shooting, uh, course and, um, which are available for rifle and pistol. And of course your hunter safety, um, education when it comes to caliber, uh, I have this, I get this question a lot. Now, of course you don't develop a 300 wind mag, uh, AR and, and get known for it without, you know, always saying that even when shit hits the fan and we're you know, ammo shortage and whatever, you can still buy 300 wind mag at Walmart or in certain gas stations here in Montana. Um, it's pretty readily available. So I like to remind people that when you are choosing your caliber, choose something that you know that you can find. Um, don't go out looking for these crazy wildcat esoteric rounds that you can't even find. I'll give you an example of that right now. 6.5 PRC is probably one of the greatest uh, hybrid wildcat rounds um, commercially available that I can think of ever. Um, it is just an outstanding uh, cartridge for its um, ballistic uh, characteristics. Impossible to find right now. Impossible to get that ammo. I built a 6.5 PRC rifle uh, that I wanted to use for this hunting season. And, uh, I, I have one box of ammo. I cited it in and that's all I could get. And I'm in this industry. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now if I'm recommending, uh, a round for somebody, uh, to go out as their first, let's say ammo, those things are not a concern, um, whatever. And, and it's not, uh, I like uh six, five Creamore a lot. And, I like it because it's it's a very forgiving round. Um, its trajectory is much flatter than 308, and your percentage on target is going to increase exponentially. Um, it's it's a very forgiving round. Uh, it's also you know doesn't have a lot of recoil, and um, and then there's a lot of very very good hunting uh, type rounds out there available for it. In terms of an inexpensive rifle. Um, that's a good starting point someplace to, uh, that you can buy right off the shelf and go out and, and be successful with. 
uh, I don't think anything really comes close to the Ruger uh, American right now in that, um, in that, you know, sub $1,000 range. I think they're like five to 600 bucks or something. Amazing uh, rifle for that, for that money. Um, I love hearing yeah. that because my, my main hunting rifle is a Ruger American. Oh, no kidding. In, okay. I got a 30 six Ruger American in the, uh, yeah. in the gun cabinet right now. So that's uh, always nice to, to hear a little bit of confirmation. <laughs> yeah. So I'll tell you what, you know, you picked a caliber that is still something that you can find right now. Okay. Um, you can go to Murdoch's or um, I can't remember some of the home and ranch stores that North are in your 40 area, or... North 40 and find 30 out six. I mean, that's a good old reliable. Uh, and again, that's your heavier uh, round for here in Montana. I like that round a lot because we are always dealing with wind here. No matter where you go, wind is a factor and you can get that in a heavier round. And again, people, if you're looking into long range precision shooting, you know, the, the key is you want to shoot the heaviest round that you can in any, whatever caliber you're shooting, you want to shoot the heaviest and flattest. So you want to get the muzzle velocity up and you want something that's heavy because it's going to buck the wind. Um, and that's important here in Montana, which is why a uh, 300 wind mag is also a, a staple. Um, but for, for new shooters, I still prefer something in that six, five only because it does recoil is, is just less and easier to deal with. Uh, the reason I went to a PRC by the way, is because from a muzzle velocity standpoint, I can cut my PRC down to 16 or 17 inches and get the same muzzle velocity out of my six, five PRC as I can out of my six, uh, five uh, Creedmoor with a 21 inch barrel. So you can lose about four inches of barrel and still have that same muzzle velocity. And yeah. So all my gun buddies are going to roll their eyes at me when they listen to this. They're going to be like, Sam, really? But so what is the difference? Like what makes that difference between the, the six, five Creedmoor and the six, five PRC? It's just the, it's the case. It's the powder. Um, it's just got more room for powder. And, you know, keep in mind that, uh, you know, here literally in the last few weeks, uh, I've, I've killed, you know, several very large animals with a six, five, uh, Creedmoor just because I had that ammo available. Mm -hmm. In fact, when we're talking about, you know, big game and, and rounds. So I like six millimeter, uh, Creed a lot. I really like that. My daughter shot her first year, um, with that particular round, um, very, very flat shooting, low recoil. Um, there's videos of me online shooting that same rifle, uh, hitting a target at a mile, uh, three times consecutively with a 109 grain bullet, which that's asking a lot out of a 109 grain bullet. Um, so it's very flat and I've had good friends of mine shoot elk at 500 plus yards with a six millimeter accuracy trumps everything when it comes to hunting. So if you're a skilled shooter and you can make that happen, a six millimeter would do well. I shot my Ibex with a six millimeter. Um, I was down in Texas just a few weeks ago and we had a, a six, five, um, I had my six millimeter and a six, five, uh, Creedmoor set up out there. We just happened to have more ammo on the, um, on the Creedmoor 
and a guy who um, shoots a lot of archery, there was a uh, a coolant. You know what a coolant is? Animal? I don't believe so. I don't believe okay. So. Well, I didn't. I didn't know what the hell it was either until uh, somebody told me. But I asked a lot because it makes me sound knowledgeable. Um, so a kudu uh, is a, a very prolific uh, African game animal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, big body, these badass uh, horns that that uh, come up or and they're they're just awesome and then uh, an eland is you know a massive massive uh game animal you're talking you know 1200 pound uh game animal i think it's uh, part of the antelope family also uh african and apparently those two will intermingle and you'll get what's called a coolant like this huge body like a thousand plus pound body animal with uh, almost looks like a heart shaped, uh, antler on top. It's incredible. So there was one I'm, on this ranch. Go I'm ahead. looking them up right now just to look yeah. at these pictures. And this is, yeah. Yeah. Insane. Awesome. Right. Okay. So this guy, the guy that owns a ranch says, listen, uh, about four months ago, somebody, uh, shot, uh, this Eland out here with a seven millimeter mag, um, and right in the shoulder and that thing's been limping around here for six months. Okay. Just to give you an idea of, of the body, right. A seven mm-hmm. millimeter mag is for, I mean, that's a legit, you know, round, right. Um, he says, if you guys see it out there, I'd like you to, I'd like you to kill it. And, uh, we're like, you know, shoot, that's rad. you know, we'll, we'll see if we can find it. So, all we had, I mean, the biggest cartridge that we had was the six, five, uh, Creedmoor. And we were shooting this round, uh, made by Sierra with, uh, with the game King, uh, tip on it. And so it comes in a green box. It's actually Sierra bullets. And, uh, you know, Sierra makes this factory ammo. Dude, I'm a huge fan of that ammo. I, I've never seen, I've never seen a, a round, um, as good for hunting and long range shooting as, as that round. And I've, I've been a big fan of the Hornaday ELDX for quite some time. So, uh, that, what, that's what's, the, what's the brand again? The, the brand is Sierra. Um, so Sierra bullets, you know, they make, of course the, you know, Sierra match and whatever they're known for making projectiles. Now they have their own line of ammo and it comes in a green and black box. Um, I just saw some at Cabela's yesterday. In fact, um, and the tip on it is the game king. So it's a green tip um, on this particular round. So I taught a long range precision course out there. We were shooting a thousand yards with that, that same round. And uh, no joke had 14 uh, people there that some of them have never shot a firearm in their life. And every single person had a first round impact at a thousand uh, when we were shooting. And you know, we were using that round. It's, it's because it was all that I could get my hands on uh before we did this so at any rate guy rolls out he's, they, they said hey uh we found this this coolant and if you get near it because it had been injured you know this thing's going to run off so we're 450 yards away uh this guy sets this rifle up and um six five creedmoor shoots this thing and it takes two steps drops dead uh 1100 pound animal uh i will send you the video clip of it i've got it around here somewhere uh, it blew my mind uh, i was like holy crap i wouldn't have even 
about that. But uh, anyway, you know, the, the type of projectile is everything, um, you know, the, that's on the front of that bullet. And of course, the casing and the weight almost have a lot to do with it. And then, of course, accuracy is, is by far one of the most important things. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So definitely, you know, as you're as you're deciding which rifle to pick, you know, you, you kind of gave some for people to check out. But mm-hmm. like you said, the biggest thing is availability. It's mm-hmm. don't don't buy a rifle, especially nowadays, if you can't find ammo for it. Um, yeah. And if you yeah. can't find it in a decent amount, because especially when you're starting out, you're going to need to do a little bit of shooting. And I know I've been out when I've been kind of running low and I'm not in a great place to buy ammo, whatever it is. And I start getting a little stingy on my, on my sighting in my practice rounds. And, right. uh, cause I'm getting nervous, you know? <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, uh, that's common and you can't, you know, I I've seen, you know, talk about getting nervous. I've seen guys, I mean, buck fever, holy moly. Um, that become a factor, uh, for me, uh, being experienced shooting, especially in a high pressure environment when you're competing. Um, I don't, I don't get nervous when I shoot. Um, I just look at it, you know, as a target and I try to be very precise. Uh, my kids are very much wired, uh, the same way. Uh, my son and I leave, uh, in just a couple of days, we're heading down to uh, Texas to go hunting and fishing down there. And, and, uh, for him, I've, you know, he's, uh, uh, he'll be 13 here in a couple of days, you know, shot his first big hog, uh, here, uh, last year about this time. And it, it, you know, he started getting very nervous because he's looking at this giant animal and his reticle instead of just focusing on where do I need to shoot it? Um, and so when I'm working with somebody that's new at, at shooting or even hunting, I tell him, look, you know, don't focus on the antlers, uh, focus on that spot that you're going to pick, make sure that, you know, when you, when you touch this trigger off that, that you're making an ethical shot. Um, and you know, that just to kind of unwind all this or maybe complete this loop, you know, I, I talk about long range precision shooting and I have shot animals at, you know, six and 700 yards before it's not without uh, stepping back and going, okay, what's my wind doing right now? You know, what are my environmentals? Can I make the shot and make it ethically, uh, confidently? Um, and I, and I tell people a lot, I, I prefer to see people shooting, you know, in that one to 200 yard window, cause that's where most people are going to be confident or, mm-hmm. or, or successful. Um, you know, 
the only reason that I've stretched it out further is because of, you know, the type of animal that we were chasing or um, had to do, you know, with just a bit of a challenge um, um, to myself. Uh, but I, I enjoy long range precision shooting, uh, long range precision hunting. I say really step back and just make sure that you're going to make an ethical shot. Well, and it's, it's so unpredictable often because you can take into account all of the, all of the factors possible, but you know, you're shooting at an elk or you're shooting at some animal An elk takes one step. It's like feet difference, you know, oh, it's yeah. not, uh, yep. and I mean, I've, you know, you really need to take into account, you know, we're not sitting here telling everybody, yeah, this, this round is good out to this. So you should shoot it out that far. No. Right. Um, right. You got to take into account your skill level, the environment. And um, I mean, actually, you know, you can see this, uh, the odd ad up behind me. Um, I took that down in New Mexico and that was a, that was a long shot. That was a, it was across a Canyon. There's just no way we were getting in on them. It just wasn't yep. going to happen. So, um, you know, it was a, it was a still day. It was a nice, quiet day. And so I was able to take that at, uh, I, I want to say it's been a while, but I think it was six twenty five. Wow. Um, yeah. And that was, that was a 300 win mag. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, I will say the one thing that was kind of a bummer about that one is, uh, I had to borrow a buddy's rifle or one of the guys I was, I was hunting with, I had to borrow one of their rifles. I had my third, I had my Ruger American and he's like, yeah, you're not going to, you're not where we're hunting. You're not going to get it with that. <laughs> um, he's just straight up. He's like, no, he's like, you can carry it if you want, but we're not getting in close enough to get it with that. And, so that that guy, uh, he had a lot bigger head than I did. Sure. Uh, and so I, <laughs> I I would go down to get on the rifle, and I'm like an inch below the scope at that point. <laughs> like right. it's just stupid. Right. And so that was a that was a big struggle getting that, and um, that is part of the reason why that odd ad is female instead of male. Um, <laughs> but there's no, yeah, we were. They were looking, they were in the spotting scope looking at, at one odd ad. I was in the spotting scope looking at a different one. We both thought we were looking at the same one. And so, like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's the big, that's the big uh, bull, you know, fire away uh, <laughs> or the big ram. And I'm like, okay. And it took, it took us a minute to figure out what happened. And uh, <laughs> I saw something drop and, and they didn't. And yeah, but. I'm more than yeah. happy with it. It was it was a fun shot, but I would not. That's not a shot I would take necessarily here in Montana on an elk on a windy day at all. Right. Uh, you know. Right. Yep. And again, that that terrain and uh, the environmentals have a lot more to do with that. Uh, you know, for sure. Of course, your confidence with the rifle. Um, also. Um, yeah. I've I've had that same thing happen before. By the way, where I had some guys that I was with looking at one animal and I was looking at another and I let the air out of the wrong one. And, uh, you know, I felt, I felt terrible, uh, when it happened and, uh, but it was just one of those things that happens. You know, so you mentioned, uh, you did mention a couple of rounds, you know, we talked about, you know, I've got my 30 out six, it's a heavier, heavier round. And, and for me, I, I picked up a third, that 30 out six Ruger American, because as we said, it was, it has the availability of ammo. I mean, 30-06 is definitely one of those rounds you could pick up anywhere. At, um, and I was shooting my M1 Garand, so 
already had all that. I was reloading ammo for my grand. So it was easy enough to do new loads for, for the American, you know, it was just, it was super accessible. So you mentioned out of curiosity, why, why would is six, five Creedmoor so readily available, but the six, five PRC so hard to find, do you know? Uh, it has to do with the casing itself. Uh, it's a unique casing. It's larger than, than the, uh, Creedmoor specifically. And so keep in mind that when, whenever there's a new type of round that's out there, the brass has to be manufactured for it. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure that what has to do with that more than anything is, you know, companies are like, look, why would we even get into making PRC right now when we can sell absolutely everything that we make um, currently? So they're not investing in that new uh, casing. Um, so, but those are guesses, you know, they're, they're based on, you know, my experience in the industry, but that, that would be my guess. Now you mentioned, you know, again, the six, five, because it's more readily available. What is it about the six, five PRC though, that makes it such a good, such a good round compared to the Creedmoor that you prefer? Is it just um, the yeah. powder? Or? Yeah. So uh, there's the 300 PRC and the six, uh, six, five PRC. Those were developed as you know, PRC precision rifle cartridges. They were developed um, for uh, precision rifle shooters to shoot flat, and um, you know that higher velocity is is where it's at. So if you're running, you know, that full burn, 24 to 26 inch barrel, and you get full burn out of it, it's extremely uh, flat shooting, which gives you a, a lot higher probability on on all targets. Um, I started looking at it for a hunting uh, rifle simply because I like to run a suppressor on, on everything that I shoot. And if I, even if I don't for a hunting rifle, I like something that's a little shorter. Uh, It's easier to swing. It's a lot more nimble. If I'm running it out of a blind or, you know, in brush or whatever, it's just more, more nimble so I could cut it down. So that rifle allows me to cut it down into that 16 to 18 inch category and still shoot just like I would with my, with my uh, full burn Creedmoor. So that that's why uh, specifically I've, I've been looking at it. Now, that being said, I've, I've seen a a few guys um, that are running short. uh, I'm saying like 16 to 18 inch um, Creedmoors out there. And there again, you know, you got guys going, why, you know, you, you can shoot a, you're not getting full burn out of it or whatever. Well, it's still flatter shooting than that 308 that they're used to. And again, their, their probability is going to increase substantially. Now is the, is the 300 Win mag versus the 300 PRC, is that kind of the same deal where the PRC is a larger casing or? Yeah. Um, it's a larger casing uh, for sure. It's a, it's a, it's a big ass um, cartridge. I've got some of those here. I just haven't built any of the uh, rifles for them. But uh, one of the companies that is uh, one of our clients is a company called Helix Six Precision, and they manufacture um, carbon fiber uh, barrel. And um, they're out of uh, Vancouver, Washington. And so when we pick them up, um, I, I built several uh, different firearms um, and a PRC is one that I, I chose. So it's funny. I found the ammo for one before I built the rifle, which was the 300 PRC. I built the rifle before I got the ammo on the other one. Now I've got 
ammo for one and no gun and, and, uh, <laughs> and no, and a, and a rifle and no ammo for the other. So, uh, those are good ones. Uh, if guys are, um, shooting, if they're going to hunt with an AR, which, uh, is a great, uh, hunting rifle, by the way, despite the fact that we have some, uh, elected officials that don't believe anybody hunts with them. I used to hunt exclusively with an AR, um, and a great, great round, uh, for hunting in the AR platform is the six, five Grendel. Um, that's a true thousand yard, uh, uh, caliber in a, in a small, uh, frame AR. And now six arc has become extremely popular, um, as well. So, uh, both great rounds. I just, uh, killed a nil guy down in Texas a couple weeks ago with a, uh, six, five Grendel one shot and nil guys have a huge animal as well as yeah. those get into eight, 900 pounds. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not familiar with the, uh, the six, five Grendel and I'm, I'm like kind of Googling it as we talk. Yeah. Think, think of it as a baby Creedmoor looks okay. like a little tiny Creedmoor. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're freaking awesome. I've, I've got, AR platform rifles that I built for my son and I for hog hunting and they're, they're in uh, six, five grand. I'm kind of, I'm looking at it compared to like a 308 right now. And it, it, yeah, it seems like, uh, I'm just trying to get a, a picture of the size of it now and that I'm kind of getting it. Um, sorry, I get distracted yeah. by my own Google searches. No problem. But, uh, yeah, that's okay. a great round. Yeah. Uh, and again, that what's nice about it is, yeah, 308s you know readily available. When you go into an AR 308 uh, platform, you're going to add about two pounds to that overall rifle at the same time. So um, that's why I like the the Grendel or the Six Arc because I mm-hmm. still have a smaller frame, uh, lighter weight, and uh, all the all that good old uh, muzzle velocity and flat trajectory. Well, and I think that's super important, you know, especially for people that are out here hunting, like we like to out, out in the woods, you're probably doing a lot more hiking, you're carrying a lot more gear, um, where that may not be as much of a consideration. If say you are planning on sitting in a tree stand or a blind or, you know, whatever that happens to be, um, you know, you may, you know, that's something you'll also probably want to factor into your decision is the overall weight of what you're having to carry. Yes, uh, for sure. Um, it's definitely a factor. And, you know, again, when it comes to uh, on the AR platform, what it, it also comes down to if you're building um, or maintaining, then it's the, you know, availability of parts and things that are readily available are common between platforms. Yeah. Awesome, man. Um, so if folks wanted to follow along with all your shenanigans online, Mm-hmm. find if they they're looking for a good source of memes um where where can they find you uh so on instagram you can find me at the underscore clint underscore walker and uh that's currently the only uh social media platform that i i really uh, use begrudgingly uh because <laughs> they don't seem to appreciate me as much as i appreciate uh the platform anymore uh yeah it seems like every time we turn around something's getting banned or deleted just because you know they don't like guns or freedom or whatever it is isn't that 
always the case lately. I've been I've been oh. seeing a lot of people in the industry, uh, whether it's hunting or firearms, and they've been just getting notices about features now that are being removed from or uh, they're being denied access to or this or that or the other. It's uh, eh, it's a bit frustrating to say the least. But uh, yeah, and also just working in I work in marketing as well and have a lot of firearms adjacent uh, clients. And so mm-hmm. within that, trying to advertise on Facebook and Google and all of that is just a nightmare. Oh, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's the world we live in. I, I think, you know, with every challenge like that, uh, social media wise, um, comes new opportunities. It makes you step back and go, you know, what's the solution here? Um, so we get better somehow at what we do. Uh, you know, I, I, what I, what I don't want is for people to be discouraged by, um, getting into firearm ownership. So I think every American should, should uh, want to and have the right and ability to defend themselves um, and also provide for themselves. And it used to be that guys like you and I were considered um, conspiracy theorists because, you know, we like to hunt and do those sort of things. Um, But anymore uh, as, you know, food shortages and and such started to happen, or at least prices started to go up um, and people started to, you know, realize there's no toilet paper and no, uh, their basic necessities, people started to go, wait a minute, maybe I should start to get things ready, uh, you know, for myself. And, you know, I think one result of, of COVID is that it created a, a world of, of crazy preppers, um, you know, which we used to be these crazy guys back in the day. Now I will say that I never once considered buying a pallet of toilet paper until all this stuff went down. Um, but, uh, now along with rice and beans and that sort of thing, I think a pallet of toilet paper is, is, uh, warranted (laughs) said jokingly. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, social media is fun. I, I think, uh, hopefully people can go in there without getting too polarized on, on any particular topic. It's hard not to be. Um, but I, I would encourage, encourage people to, to wade through those types of things, focus on, uh, their family, their household, their individual needs and develop skills that they can use to provide for their family. So that makes me crazy or whatever, I guess, call me crazy. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I'm glad we found a time to chat and uh, thank you so much for joining. Likewise. Thanks for having me on the show, man. I really appreciate it. All right, y'all. That'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Big thank you to Clint for taking the time out of his day to hop on. Really enjoyed that conversation and learning a bit more about uh, various rifle calibers. Y'all make sure to uh, go give him a follow on Instagram. Go check out the memes. Uh, check out the gun content, the hunting content. Uh, it's all fantastic. But y'all had a great time. That'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this episode inspires you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. 
Thank you for listening to the Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. 